Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, October 22nd. We begin with our continuing series aimed at getting to know the new faces at City Hall. This time we meet newly elected Ward 7 City Councillor Terry Wong. This is Secret Path Week, a national movement commemorating the legacies of Gord Downey and Chani Wenjack. We speak with Paul Custer, writer, former journalist and Indigenous advocate, about the significance of this week to Canada's First Nations people. Tis the season for Christmas movies. While the calendar may say October, the popularity of Hallmark Christmas movies can't be denied, with the films now airing year-round. But did you know a Calgarian is behind many of the titles we watch? We catch up with writer, director and producer David Winning to hear about his latest film, You, Me and the Christmas Trees. And finally, it's called Squid Game and it's the most popular show in the history of Netflix. Our Dave McIver takes a look at the hype surrounding the Korean series that's captured the attention of the world. Morning is Ward 7 City Councillor Terry Wong. Good morning to you, Councillor Wong. Good morning. How are you? Good, good. Uh, Let's break down uh, not just your experience and and your interests, but your ward, Ward 7. After 20 years as a city councillor, how in the heck do you fill the shoes of Drew Farrell? Well, Jude's done a lot of good things for Calgary, and uh, I think what we're looking for today is a rejuvenation of the downtown core, and especially the uh, filling up, filling up the office towers and people who want to come down to work and entertain themselves. Terry, unfortunately, it's a, the distracting issue that we need to discuss, and it's continuing to be in the limelight as we move towards all of the new councillors being sworn in on Monday, and that's the issue and the controversy surrounding Sean Chu. So uh, I know you put out a statement earlier this week, maybe for folks who didn't see it, your thoughts on whether Councillor Chu should remain as a city councillor, or maybe potentially should there be a by-election in that ward again? I think you know a lot of people are observing what's going on and certainly finding finding any any type of behavior against uh, any persons you know whether it be male female uh, you know um, any sort of violent or sexual assault is abhorrible you know that this is not something that we want to see happening in society so you know um, I put out a statement the other day that you know this is something that Sean has to take a look at at uh, this his situation and make that decision. Uh, Calgarians want council to be fully functional and be able to make you know uh, great decisions without distractions. Terry, you know, people saw your name on the signs, and we're talking with you right now. Some people may not be familiar with your background, so so give us an idea of what you've been up to. Uh, yeah, so um, since since Monday night, <laughs> hmm. you know, after after election, of course, we've been running around picking up. You know, over 500 signs and that sort of thing, putting things away, getting our, uh, our uh, how to say, campaign shut down. But spent the last couple of days at City Hall and another day today, uh, you know, collecting orientation material and getting ready for swearing-in ceremonies on Monday. It's uh, certainly going to be an exciting day. You have a very diverse ward, Terry. So what will you be focusing on as you step into your new role on City Council? Yeah, I think there's a couple of three things I want to get across. Number one is that, you know, Ward 7 is a very uh, diverse ward, a very progressive ward, and a ward that is, I can say, the heart of Calgary. And, and that's what I really want to get across, that we are going to take care of the communities in Ward 7, but largely the, you know, the downtown core for all of Calgary. Particularly the things that I'd like to be focusing on is 
we want to make sure that the downtown and, uh, again, uh, whether it be Kensington or Chinatown or whatever, it's a place that's clean and safe. It's a place that you know, people will feel, you know, without risk uh, that they can come on down and have a great time. Once we get that uh, straightened out, the second part is making sure that, you know, the you know, Ward 7 is a destination. And and, uh, and I've done a lot of work in Chinatown to create uh, mm-hmm. Chinatown as being clean and safe and a must-visit destination and an ultimately a great experience. And that model is a model that, you know, Dirk and, uh, sorry, Disneyland has done for themselves. And that's a model I want to you know, perpetuate here and, uh, and make, you know, again, our downtown a, a must-visit destination. Terry, you mentioned your work in Chinatown, so can you give people your background and, and what you did before you decided to throw your hat in the councillor ring? Sure. For the last six years, I've been the executive director of Chinatown's business improvement area, and what we've done is not only work with our merchants and get them to uh, um, you know, be better than who they are and, and uh, revitalize the area, but we've also you know, hosted a number of different sort of events for Calgarians, whether it be our, our uh, Chinatown street festivals in the summertime or winter Chinese New Year's and uh, ice sculptures and a whole host of things in between. So that's one thing. Prior to that, I, I used to work for the city as well as a manager and uh, bring a lot of um, background experience and uh, wisdom as to how to how to make things happen right away. And that's, I think, that the most important thing. Terry, you've got a great pedigree in your work background, but what does a Terry Wong like to do in his free time, his spare time, if you have any of it? <laughs> I think my, my my spare time, I'd love to be with with uh, you know my uh, grandchildren. Um, you know, the uh, I said the, the pride of the pride of my uh, my life, so to speak, and uh, spending time with family is, is the most important thing for me. Let's t- let's talk about you know as far as the the challenges facing the city there are so many uh, but you know how important is is it for you to to really touch base with your constituents versus just you know uh, follow the headlines and say this is important how important is it going to be for you to communicate and keep those lines of communication open with constituents that is paramount. You know, there's uh, different types of counselors, and I'm a counselor, I believe, in being a representative counselor, one that, you know, meets the constituents, listens and learns, understands where they're going, what things are, you know, if we're going to use the term, you know, what's keeping you up in the middle of the night, and what are the dreams you have for tomorrow? Those are things I want to do. And as an example, on Monday we had uh, the election. Tuesday night I participated in a community association AGM. And uh, uh, yesterday, I participated in another community association meeting, as well as a business improvement area AGM. So, yeah, I mean, it's been it's been busy, and, and uh, outreach and listening is extremely important for me. A pleasure to chat with you, Terry, once again, uh, as your role now as Ward 7 City Councillor. We look forward to you and your team working together and, and in c- continuing to make our city a better place to live. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you again. That's Terry Wong, Ward 7 City Councillor. Secret Path Week is a national movement commemorating the legacies of Gord Downey and Chani Wenjack and takes place annually from October 17th to the 22nd. To explain why this message is so important, we're joined this morning by Calgary writer, comedian, former broadcaster and Indigenous advocate Paul Custer. Good morning to you, Paul. Thanks for joining us. Hi, uh, thanks again for having me. What a beautiful, I'm, I'm parked looking at a beautiful sunrise. So life is good, my friend. Life is good. You are correct. Tell us a little bit more about Secret Path Week. Secret Path Week is uh, the legacy uh, that Gord Downey left uh, when he passed away October 17th 
2017. He had never heard of residential schools as he grew up in Kingston, uh, Ontario, in southern Ontario. And he had never heard of it even when he was an adult until his brother, Mike Downey, showed him the story from McLean's magazine from way back, 1967, uh, titled The Lonely Death of Chani Wenjack. Chani Wenjack was a 12-year-old Anishinaabe boy uh, from Ogoki Post, way up in northern uh, Ontario, was forced to go to residential school in Kenora in southern Ontario. At the age 12, he ran away uh, trying to get back home on foot. Uh, of course, he wasn't successful, and he died from exposure uh, alone uh, beside railway tracks in the bush of, of Ontario. And uh, and uh, that really struck uh, Gord Downey. In fact, Chani's body was discovered October 22nd, 1966. So like 50 years apart, they both passed, but they passed within days of each other, which is which is quite uh, remarkable. And so what Gord Downey's Secret Path is, it's, um, it's a graphic novel that uh, he created. Uh, and uh, there he wrote 10 poems, which were turned into songs. So there's a Secret Path album, and there's a Secret Path uh, animated movie. And this was all to raise awareness about Chani Wenjack's story and residential schools and the legacy that they left upon Canada. And Downey was very vocal and very outspoken against our country's policies against indigenous peoples. And he said, uh, Canada's got a really dark past and it's a bad place. And we got to spend the next hundred years trying to rectify that and do what we can to change that. And let's talk about the importance, you know, when indigenous people use the term ally, you, you can't get uh, maybe uh, much more high profile than a Gord Downey. What did it mean to have like one of Canada's greatest musicians take this on? Well, well, he his whole thing was uh, his whole message that we have to work together, Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples. And uh, he even challenged us before he left this life back uh, in 2017. Uh, and they call them on the website. It's called the uh, Downey Wenjack Fund. So you can Google it. There's a great website. And they have actual steps that you can take personally or as a community, meaning uh, you can have um, an open mic night. You can have a night featuring Indigenous artists. You can uh, organize a march or a walk during Secret Path Week. There's a whole list of reconciliations, they call it, so that you can get actively involved in your community and do what you can to, to help uh, change things. Reconcilie action. I like that very much. We need to continue this conversation. Thanks so much, Paul, for bringing it to our attention. Appreciate it. Yeah, right on. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. Thanks again for having me. You too. Downywenjack.ca is the website for more information. That's Paul Custer, of course, Calgary writer, comedian, former broadcaster, and Indigenous advocate. It's everything we want from the Hallmark Channel and then some. The man behind so many of your favorite Hallmark and W Channel feel-good movies is David Winning. He's a film and television director and producer with 43 features, 29 series, and over 180 credits under his belt. And he's from right here in Calgary. Joining us now is the prolific David Winning. Good morning to you, David. Thanks for being with us. Good morning, guys. Is it is it ever too early to have some Christmas movies showing up? I do not think so, and I know there are a lot of people who would agree. Year-round Christmas movies, that's what we want. Your latest one, it's called You, Me, and the Christmas Trees, debuts on the Hallmark Channel tonight. What is it with Christmas movies? Why is it that we just can't get enough of them? 
Well, I, you know, when you make these movies, you're never really sure when they're going to air, and I certainly didn't think it was going to air this soon, but um, I guess Hallmark has produced so many Christmas movies that you these start in just sort of after Halloween, but lo and behold, our first movie's showing up tonight. I think, I mean, what I always say about Hallmark movies is it offers people uh, people safe harbor, you know? 80, 80 million people watched these movies last year in the States, and I think in dark times and like the whole COVID thing that we've been through, I think people are just really hungry for some really, you know, feel good entertainment, which I think this stuff is. And I think it's, uh, I'm very proud of being involved with it. I've done, um, uh, this is, I think this is my 20th movie for Hallmark in the last five wow. years. So, but, uh, no, it's a lot of fun. It was filmed in, uh, on Vancouver Island, Victoria, and just south of, uh, Duncan, BC in September, August and September during a heat wave. <laughs> so of course it's, uh, trucked in fish ice and fake snow and all the poor extra wearing, you know, parkas and scarves and 45 degree weather. So they have to fake that they're freezing. Wow. I'm wondering, uh, David, because uh, again, you are where you are and people who follow the industry know who you are. But for those who don't tell us about how a Calgary kid gets into the business uh, that you're in. Well, I mean, I started out with a, you know, Super 8 camera back in the 70s, and I was just, a, you know, I was just a, 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 a kid growing up in, in, in Calgary. I started with nothing, and I was, you know, I had this movie camera in Northwest Calgary and a bunch of dreams, and I I couldn't even imagine directing 40 feature films. I couldn't imagine directing one feature film. I had kind of no idea how I was going to get a career going, so uh, I was, you know, raising money through my 20s trying to go to film school, and I had this brainstorm that I'd make my own feature film. So I kind of shocked my dad and, and uh, took three or four years out of my 20s and, and I made my first film and then, you know, things just start to roll from there and eventually you listed all these credits at the beginning. It just makes me tired. I realize, I realize how old I am. Oh my gosh, I've been around forever. Well, you found the recipe for success for sure. So tell us about the new one. It airs tonight on the Hallmark Channel, You, Me, and the Christmas Trees. I, uh, I think we can kind of guess, but tell us about it. <laughs> well, it's kind of a surprise ending. No, I can't. They all, they all, have, they all have the same ending. Um, yeah, it's, uh, well, it's uh, it's about a Christmas tree farm and a Christmas tree farm owner, and there's something wrong with the Christmas trees this year. There's a disease that's spreading through the trees, so he needs help, and he uh, finds it in a, a sort of a Christian uh, Christmas tree scientist, played by Danica McKellar from uh, people remember from Wonder Years. Oh, yes. And also, uh, we have a little guest star appearance with, uh, it's kind of a mini Wonder Years reunion, because Jason Hervey, who played the mean older brother in Wonder Years, is also in it as the bad guy in this movie. So it's a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, so it's just kind of how they uh, get together and try to figure out what the, it's a kind of a mystery Christmas Christmas movie for fun. So they're trying to figure out what the what's the problem with the Christmas trees. And it's on at, uh, I think, 9 o'clock tonight in Calgary on uh, W Network. Can anybody be in a bad mood after watching a Hallmark movie? Mm-mm. Well, I sure can't. I mean, they're really they're really fun yeah. sets to work on. You know, there's it's a lot of really it's just feel good kind of stuff. I mean, we you know we start to live Christmas all year because we start making these movies in the summer, and uh, by the time you get to Christmas, you think you're Christmas out. But no, I still have a little Christmas spirit left in me on the 25th. So Great it's stuff. just it's really, been a lot of fun. Really quick, David, I know you wanted to point this out. So tell us about the COVID project before we let you go. Uh, the which the, the, the COVID, COVID oh. project. Oh um, well, I, I I think my website. Yeah. Or, yep. Yeah. Well, I have a I worked when I oh I see yes during COVID I did uh, I was rebuilding my website which was 20 years old it's stuck it's uh, com. basically more than anyone would ever want to know about me it's just all sorts of film clips and 
you know, video clips and press articles and stuff through the 30 or 40 years I've been doing this. And uh, I'm really proud of it. And it was it kind of kept me sane through COVID. So I'm welcome people to go to that if they want to check out some more stuff. For sure. Calgary Zone, uh, we own you now, uh, for sure, <laughs> for, for always. Uh, David Winning, thank you so much for your time. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> David Winning, film and television director, as well as a producer. And you can find out more at winning.com or davidwinning.com. Also worth noting, yes, indeed, the W Network, my mom will be watching tonight. It is Hallmark. you, well, no, yeah, Hallmark Channel in the U.S. and W Network right here. You, me, and the Christmas trees. You can check it out tonight. The Netflix show Squid Game has become a massive success worldwide. But would we even heard of, have heard about this show before streaming services became the norm and social media brought the world closer together? Our own Dave McIver finds out what Squid Game is and why the show has become so popular so fast. That is music from the new hit show Squid Game, which helped Netflix add 4.4 million memberships in their third quarter. So what is Squid Game? And what is it that makes these shows so popular so fast? I spoke with Nadine Parker. And I am a producer on the TV beat specifically for ET Canada. Squid Game starts with a down-on-his-luck father who clearly has a gambling problem. As you see early in the show, he is um, stealing his mother's bank card. Uh, how do they go from you know this character to 456 different characters playing in the Squid Game? Yeah, so Squid Game is really about these people who are living their everyday life, but they all have massive financial issues and burdens going on. So they are approached by a man randomly who offers them the chance to play a game, and in return, they could win a sum of money. They play this very basic game, they win the money, and then they're given an invitation to join another series of games where they could win even more. And when we say more, we mean tons of money that can change their life and get them out of all their financial debt. And it's up to them to choose if they want to pursue this opportunity and call in. In this case, our main character that we're following, he does, of course, call. And he gets a location, a date, and a time that he is to be somewhere in order to be picked up to go play this new mysterious game. Once he is picked up, they are given some sort of a gas that puts them to sleep. So they don't know where they're going. And when they wake up, they're in this gigantic room with hundreds of bunk beds surrounded by a ton of other strangers who equally don't really know how they got there because they are all put to sleep to arrive. And this is where the show really kicks off because we start to meet the characters and we learn that these people are all struggling in the same way with their finances. Explain the games. They're Korean kids games, correct? Correct. And I do believe that a lot of these games are things that are played all over the world. Mm -hmm. The first game that we see is Red Light, Green Light. You will be playing Red Light, Green Light. Green Light! Red Light! The purpose is to get to the end of a line, to cross the finish line. So you can make your move and walk or run as fast as you like, but as soon as red light is set by the leader, you have to freeze. And if you don't freeze, the big statue, which is a doll, uh, which has a computer in its head, will read your movement and you are eliminated if you move on the red light, correct? You are correct. And when we say eliminated, we mean eliminated as in a sniper 
takes you out. There are five other games in the show, including the Cookie Game, Tug of War, Marbles, The Glass Bridge, and the finale, Squid Game. But how do these shows become so popular so quick? Netflix said Squid Game has become its most popular show ever, with 142 million households sampling the title. It's number one in 94 countries. The Cookie Game Challenge has gone viral on TikTok. You can get Halloween costumes from the show, and memes and gifts are all over the internet when it comes to Squid Game. Well, I think before we had streaming services, as you said, really, we were stuck to what was on traditional cable, what was accessible for us in the country that we lived in, that we live in. And every country has their own sense of what they like as entertainment. Um, I lived in England for a little bit, and while I was there, their sense of humor is very different than the North American sense of humor. And therefore, the shows that they had were very different than what we had here. The comedy was different. Even the dramas were beyond North American level shows in the sense of just how brutal they can be. And when you have a streaming platform that is worldwide and gives people the option to watch things that they previously wouldn't have access to, that opens up doors to media that is just never before seen. And I think what we're seeing now is, especially with South Korean entertainment, we saw Parasite win the Oscar for Best Picture in 2020. And so people are now starting to open their eyes outside of their own country and start to explore what else is out there. So it is keeping up with what is popular in media, and I do believe it is because we now have access to the world of entertainment and television shows and movies, and people are getting more comfortable stepping outside of what they're used to and exploring other options. I think social media and FOMO, uh, like that FOMO goes into what you just said. I think like social media, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, like that's, there's all these different things that you can find on social media. And then when you're, you're watching those things, you kind of get FOMO. It's like, oh, well, if everybody's talking about this, I don't really want to miss out on it. So do those things play big roles in terms of its popularity and its massive growth as well? 100%. And funny you say that because the night that I started watching, I posted on my Instagram story the, the title card for Squid Game, and I put one of those surveys, are you watching? Have you watched? Yes or no? And I was so surprised how many of my friends hit yes and said, yes, I'm watching, or I've seen it all. And then the conversation that started from that in my DMs of what episode are you on? Oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. I can't wait for the next episode. And then the people who said no would DM me and go, I've heard other people talking about this. Okay, you're watching it? Let me know what you think. And then we would have conversations, and literally the next day I'd follow up and say, did you watch? And they were saying, well, I have finished, or I'm on episode three. <laughs> so catches you so quickly and you're exactly right it is the social media conversation that starts i'm dave mciver with global news radio 770 chqr the phenomenon i can't believe it and you know i mm. the streaming the huge part of this for me is we get our programming when we watch shows from abc nbc and cbs maybe fox down in the states your shows and we run them here in canada i really there's no way that back in the day one of those major networks would green light a program like this no. so avant-garde no. and also from another part of the world uh, because they would not want to you know take that risk the risks that can be taken on social on streaming rather 
versus oh for British. sure it's, it's huge and it's very violent you've seen you've seen it so what what are your thoughts it's a it's a very violent show i didn't love it like everybody but i watched it for exactly that fomo fear of missing out everybody was talking about it i wanted to see what the deal was i got into it my kids said oh you got to keep watching and watch i'm like oh okay well i'll keep watching <laughs> i think there are nine episodes and i will be quite honest with you i fast forwarded through a lot of it there's a right? lot of dialogue in it and it is an interesting commentary on what people will do um, when they're in trouble and to get out of it and for money. Um, so it's a, it's a really interesting, fascinating show. Be warned, it's very violent, mm-hmm. but it does make you think, you know, what would you do in that situation? Huh. So I recommend it on one hand and I also say, meh, you're not really, don't worry. You, you, nothing's going to happen if you don't watch it. You'll be a-okay. But your fast forwarding comment means a lot to me because I know I tried to get into The Sopranos. I did not watch it while it was on, and yeah. I was going to try to binge it. And I watched the first three, and I was falling asleep. Yeah. And people, say, you have to really stick it out. Well, Do I? So, so, well, some people. Life's short. Do I? Some people enjoy sticking it out. Yeah. And so I got to give this a chance. Other people, you need to hook them right away. So, what are your? Th- have you seen Squid Games? Mm-hmm. Is is that something that you're enjoying or you know indulging in right now? You can certainly let us know on the text line. Or to your point earlier, Sue. What should we be watching? Yes, if it's not that, yeah. what, what else is good out there? 403-974-8255 is our text line. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.